Girl, I saw your beaver flash. I'll never be the same. Oh, yes. <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. <laughs> It's one f***ing hour time. Of course, the show where we talk about one movie for one effing hour. I am Evan Husney, and we got to my left here, Mr. T, Big T, Tom Fitzgerald. What's going on, man? Hey, we meet again. (laughs) Here we are. Another week, another movie, another year, of course, we're covering here on the show. Uh, But first, before we get into that, we got Mr. Marcus Herring over to my right. Marcus... What's up, guys? And it's uh, 1969, okay? Mm-hmm. Right. That is right. We are doing this new thing with the show where, hey, it's episode 69, so we're going to do a movie from 1969. And, of course, you, the listeners or the viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, you voted for this movie. Uh, it was between four films. It was extremely close. Uh, once again, we've been doing these polls every week. We did 1968 last week and 67 the year before, and it was a close race. But the winner, of course, is Putney Swope by Robert Downey, and that's the film we're doing tonight, boys. And um, very I'm excited. So glad it won. Too, yeah, actually, definitely. Yeah, it's cool shit. It's one of those films I would say we we would have it on our short list anyways. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and there's lots of fun stuff to talk about as well. I'll find out tonight. Um, all the others are totally cool. And again, just a reminder, it's not like we're dusting the other four choices and we'll never yeah. look at even speak of them again. It's like, you know, we return to those another time. It's just a fun way to yeah. kind of toss around titles well, and, and also just see what, you know, it, it was close. Yeah, it was close. But it's, it's great it's to see close. what, you know, you know, what you guys want to see us talk about. And it's just cool that, you know, you all want to see us talk about Putney Swope. So we're doing it. Um, yeah. And I got a shout out last week's episode, which was one fucking hour on targets, was um, a lot of fun. That again, a, a, a movie I wouldn't have bet on winning that poll, um, but no. I'm again glad it did. It was up against you know Rosemary's Baby and things like that. But it was a great hour. We went into that movie, fascinating movie, very prescient yeah. subject matter, and yeah. we went deep on it. So um, I, I urge everybody if you haven't checked it out, it's in the archives. One fucking hour on Peter Bogdanovich's targets. Yeah, um, was just really such a sour, uh, just such a sour tone. You know, again, like I was saying, the summer, uh, the bummer summer of 1968 is, uh, of course, this film was hatched in that time. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's it's most unpleasant, but also uh, stylistically very innovative. I mean, if you just take a step back, like like that's a narrative that's uncommon. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and we should also say, too, good segue into this week's episode. Last week's episode was themed around the idea of cusp. Cusp! Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's so last week, man. <laughs> cusp. cusp. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Well, the way this works is uh, cusps aren't there, then they're there, then yep. they're not there. So this is it. Ain't no more cusp talk because we're done. <laughs> Because now it's the summer of 69, yeah. and there's mental films like this one, yep. uh, crazy crazy shit, you know, splashing the screen like Easy Rider, even yeah. last summer, one of our other choices. 
um, yeah. they're playing, you know, like movie houses uh, uptown, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so it's done. Uh, the, the, the dam broke. Yeah. And uh, this is one of the films that really helped the dam break so that the next 10 years or so uh, are going to be very, very different. You yeah, know, things wild. like SNL are imaginable, you know, yeah. for instance. <laughs> True. Really. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. So before we get into tonight's episode, um, just got to <gasps> do a little shout out here. Guys, uh, a few weeks back, we launched the official uh, OFH Patreon. That's right. So at patreon.com slash one fucking hour, you can sign up there because we are doing, it's the only place you can get these, but we're doing feature length audio commentary tracks to choice movies. Um, Super, super fun. We just did our second audio commentary track, which is available up there right now. We did a feature length audio commentary track on Star Wars from 1977, which... um, Real deep cut. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it, it, it actually turned out to be pretty darn interesting in terms it's of... It's awesome. It was. Yeah. It was really cool. We like talking about Star Wars here, you know? Yeah. And well, if, if I can say one... Th- I'll just put it this way and then yeah. I'll stop. Is just... I think it's a really perfect example of how we see things, right or wrong, yeah. and how we approach this fucking hour, so to speak. Right. And okay, everybody and their grandma has taken a turn... It's like a movie like Star Wars. Yeah. But this is our take. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not different. Maybe it is, but it's our take. It's idiosyncratic. And, but I do think that with that mission statement, we think like, what's like underreported, you know? Yeah. Like what's underappreciated from these films that are just, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Make, you know, um, uh, huge monoliths. Uh, and, you know, so we would talk about, you know, uh, charred corpses smoldering yeah. for like <laughs> a, a long time that yeah, doesn't happen every day <laughs> no this no, is no. an example exactly we went we went you pretty know? hard on the on the smoldering but also just the underappreciated thing about i think original star wars which is the things that are not on screen the things that you don't see that's left up to the imagination and that's really yeah. the magic behind that original film is it left so much to your imagination and i think it it just it just sparks a lot of inspiration in that way but I think the best thing I can equate the uh, one fucking hour commentary experience is if you like, you know, hearing us talk about movies. I mean, you must if you're here listening to this right now. But it's kind of one step further because we're actually watching movies together. So I think it's a kind yeah. of cool experience. And all it is is five bucks a month. You'll get um, unfettered access to all the audio commentary tracks and 24 hour early access to all of the episodes that we put up on the YouTube channel or the podcast feed. So little perk there and it's the best way to support the show so if you like what we're doing it's the best way to support us to keep this thing going and we appreciate that all the people that have yeah. signed up so far so patreon.com slash one fucking hour all right now let's get to the show guys you ready to do this should we do it let's do it ready to rip should we hit the clock yeah let's do it yep. all right uh clock incoming here we go three two one boom all right <laughs> All right, just a little bit of background on tonight's film. I think I pulled this synopsis from, I think, the Eclipse Criterion box set version, I think, maybe, or somewhere else. I can't remember. But uh, here we go. Uh, The most popular and widely distributed film of Robert Downey is this offbeat classic about the antics that ensue after Putney Swope, the token black man on the board of a Madison Avenue advertising agency, is inadvertently elected its chairman. Putney summarily fires the whiteies, replaces them with black power apostles, renames the company Truth and Soul Incorporated, and proceeds to wreak politically incorrect havoc 
and a cultural revolution ensues. A scathing, taboo-busting, hysterical farce about the foibles of the American advertising industry, particularly referring to the racial prejudices of the time and since. Uh, And then, of course, in 2016, it was selected by the National Film Registry of the Library of Congress, citing that it is a culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant film. So that's the movie. Look at Bob. (laughs) Getting recognition. There he is. That's right. So, um, of course, uh, from 1969, and this is episode 69. So let's let's get on it here. Uh, Tom, maybe I'll just quickly kick it off to you. I mean, Robert Downey is just this extraordinarily fascinating character in the history of cinema. I mean, obviously, many people know his son went on to much different, more mainstream heights, of course. Um, but Robert Downey was uh, breaking waves in the uh, in the in the 1960s. So why don't you set us up yeah. here for Robert Downey in the cultural context? Right. Well, uh, you know, just generally, here's this guy who uh, he's a little older than like the, uh, the usual 60s generation. You know, he came of age more in like in the 50s. And right, right. He was, from what I understand, he was kind of like a mischievous, mischievous, fun-loving. Um, uh, you know, deadpan kind of uh, joker, you know, in his whole life, just how he did things. And, you know, like he stumbled into making underground films because he was, you know, he, he would tell you like, oh, it looked kind of fun and, you know, look easy and why not? You know, like that's his whole attitude. You know, like he gets thrown out of the army, you know, and then he, uh, you know, happens upon a camera and he's like, let's start shooting stuff. This is like 1960, 61, 63. Right. And he made short films. And I think what distinguishes him is, you know, in the early 60s, sort of the Jonas Mikas world, the Stan Brackage world, mm-hmm. um, there weren't so much comedies. It wasn't really like the, the tone normally to have. Yeah. It, it, it was it's almost um, an oxymoron to be like an underground comedy. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there were the Kuchar brothers and stuff, but even those were sort of more abstract and kind of arched sort of camp. These were like comedies, like he was trying to get laughs a lot, mm-hmm. which is very cool and really distinguished himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess you could say he, he had the he had the gall to actually entertain in these tiny underground Greenwich Village, you know, pads that were showing 16 millimeter shorts. He would make films that had very screwed up senses of humor <laughs> and theater of the absurd kinds of humor because he also did uh, underground like off 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 Broadway theater. Yeah. But yeah, he just um, th- what I'm trying to say is he just distinguished himself from from a large group of people who were making these, you know, eight millimeter, 16 millimeter shorts that were really only being seen by like a handful of people within like a two mile radius for mm-hmm. most of the 60s. Mm-hmm. So stuff kind of broke out. Uh, the film before this one, Putney, is Chafed Elbows, 1966, and it really is about an hour long, and it broke out. It got reviewed, I think, by the New York Times, the Daily News. It was a hit for years. It actually was paired with Kenneth Anger's Scorpio Rising and yep, traveled up. all around the country. You would play Ohio and, you know, Tucson, Arizona, you know, so that was really, he really broke through in some ways before Putney. And uh, someone had the crazy idea, maybe this guy, we give him a little money and he could actually do something bankable because they saw that there was some, inside the underground film culture, there was maybe something there that could appeal with audiences. And it, they were right, actually. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a remarkable story. Uh, but I want to add, every time I say this, he never sold out till the day he died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's right. And so he never like tap danced, except when he had to do a gig like, you know, uh, up the Academy, the bad uh, Mad Magazine film. Mad Magazine film. 
Let's yeah. ignore that. Though. Yeah. But what I'm saying <laughs> yeah. is, he would do, what I'm trying to say is, he yeah. broke through with Putney Swope. Back to mm-hmm. the subject here. Yeah. He broke through with Putney Swope, and tonally, uh, the humor, the outlook, the, the 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 strangeness of it is just like his first films, like Babo '73 or something. Like they, nothing changed. Um, but the, also critically, he got a little bit of a bigger budget. But the audience has changed in that larger groups of people were more open. And more stoned, frankly, people were getting high at the movies and they could take that ride with him where it would have been like, you know, eight people in a two mile radius. Yeah. Um, it was met with more approval. And uh, he somehow made this film. No distributor wanted it except one distributor from Cinema 5. Uh, one guy said, this is the famous quote. Maybe, maybe say it, Evan. Uh, what did the guy who ran Cinema Five say about the movie? <laughs> who saw it? Oh yeah, the the uh, the guy who wound up actually distributing this movie. I mean, every other distributor had passed on the film yeah. up until a certain point, and they mm-hmm. had they had they had screened Putney Swope, and this guy showed up late. You know, from uh, this organization here, Cinema right Five. here, yep. Cinema Five. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and he owned a, a, a art house theater chain. He owned a so lot. That's a, he had like so that's a good lot. for him yeah. to have your back. So what did he say to Robert? Um, yeah, he basically said, that. "I don't get it, <laughs> but there's something here. I like it, and I'm going to distribute it." And of course, you know, him, him and his team would design that iconic uh, image yeah. there. You're seeing this is for the, uh, the ad campaign by uh, Cinema Five, who had great. A great eye. Um, all their stuff uh, has a great look to it. Uh, he also did "Give Me Shelter" too. Uh, I so, love that um, um, that poster. Like uh, Downey said, it's like uh, when he saw it, he's like, "That's better than the movie." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the guy's like, "Well, I guess we should go with it." I, just before we jump off, I love that quote from him saying, "Like I, the the guy who put this movie out, who made it a success, was like, I don't understand your movie, but I like it." Yeah, and it re- reminds me of that. A great quote from Frank Zappa. I'm not like a big Zappa head or anything, but there's this great interview where he's talking about what's missing from the world. I think it's like in the late in the 80s he's talking about what the mm. problem is, and he's saying like you know the world's just not as creative as it was in the 60s because back then the, the, all the guys that were in power were these cigar chomping guys that didn't know art at all. But they're like, I don't know right. art, but I believe in you, kid. Right. You know, and <laughs> like and but then by the time you roll around, roll around to the 80s, everyone who's like in uh, A&R is like a, a hipster creative type who's like, I know what's cool. It's new wave, you know, and right. and so like everything gets really boxed in and homog- like cool becomes really boxed in. Yeah. And I just love that. Um, you know, I just I don't know. It's just when, well, I, when I heard that lost, quote from it, it just tied. They were lost and they were groping. Yeah. They're like, hey, do you guys want to hear Silver Apples? <laughs> uh, right? Yeah. No, you don't want to hear it at all? Like, okay, I don't know. <laughs> you know well, like, it's this time. Right. I mean, it's, you know, hey, we're, 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 we're talking about this cut, you know, going from going from the cusp time to now where it's where I think people in those positions are really starting to pay attention to these other cultural scenes, especially in New York City. Uh, what's happening in the village. And as you said, you know, Downey, Downey's films are playing at, at, you know, Bleecker Street Cinema. They're playing all around the village. And there's that scene emerging yeah. and somebody's at least smart enough to say, okay, there, there's a cultural movement going on right now. I mean, and look, uh, his chafed elbows there for some reason, some maniac made a paperback of his film before <laughs> uh, yeah. Putney Swope. And like, so, so, um, yeah, it was just, you know, it's, it's well, I mean, this film is, you know, just in the, just before the cusp starts, you know, so 
Um, yeah. And also it's on the vanguard, just those kind of terms like avant-garde, vanguard, yeah. Yeah. you know, which simply means the, de the definition would be um, they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're in the front of, of the wave, of the trend. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and so Downey is one of those guys who just broke down the gates with this film. Right. But again, I say because, like, you know, there's Easy Rider, which was groundbreaking, even Midnight Cowboy. These films are groundbreaking in these all these um, categories, you know, X-rated over here experimental film techniques there but he was groundbreaking for a very odd very cool thing which was uh comedies like stoned comedies yeah fractured demented satires like doesn't doesn't yeah. add up comedies and satires yeah, yeah so what i'm saying is like he had his own lane like yeah. i'm just saying easy writer's not a comedy it's not no. trying to be no so um that's I what i just so special about downey yeah was that um he was making LSD comedies. Yeah. I mean, uh, love that. And no one love else that. was doing. That, yeah. Really, you know? Real quick, uh, before we just kind of dive further into this, I just wanted to kick up, kick it off with some personal anecdotes. Maybe, uh, Marcus, yeah. what's your sort of, I know this is a big movie for you too. I know you were super excited for this to win. What's kind of your just <laughs> background, uh, origin story with, uh, this movie. I I didn't know about it until I saw an original I saw the original trailer play at the Alamo actually back in like 02 or something nice. you know and uh I was like what is that cuz I you know the original trailer is one of the great ads and that plays in this movie and it's just the entire trailer uh for this the face off trailer we'll talk about the trailer but the, it's just the yeah. face off trailer pretty much and it, the whole thing plays out and then it just comes up and says Putney Swope at the end. And I thought it, it almost looked like it was like someone had cut down part of the movie to make the ad like in 02. You know what I mean? Right. But it's right. like, no, somebody like he had they had the uh, hip forethought to just like, that, right. you know, that this that's this scene would really move through a trailer right. and get people's attention. Right. I mean, and uh, it's such you know, a hip what, way to look at ads, you know, at the time. Yeah. You know, it's not like and and starring uh, the He-Man with the girl and it's they're going to have a volcano and it starts Friday. You know, it's like this film is just yeah. like, here's a whole song. Here's a whole weird joke. It's so cool. Title out. It, it's so cool. And then when I saw the film, you know, I probably rented it from like I Love Video or something in Austin. But like, uh, you know, I just really identified with that, like that burned down the system mentality. You know, I'd never quite seen. Yeah. It was speaking something that I wanted to see in movies, but hadn't seen before. Good you point. Know? Yeah. And, and it um, still like feels re like fresh and relevant and exciting even now. Absolutely. You know, when you're seeing it, like it doesn't mm -hmm. feel dated or like. You know, or anything, it yeah. still packs I think a the punch. the subject matter and the... That's a really good point, Evan. Yeah. Uh, uh, dated. Yeah. Because, you know, before I was saying, we were talking about, like, what films for 69, it was like, Easy Rider, I do love it, but it is kind of just like, ugh, you know, as yeah. far as the uh, the repetition of the tropes and, like, get your motor running, and it's just like, <laughs> all right. But actually, you know what? I'm going to dovetail into my anecdote because, I, okay, okay, get your motor running, running right? <laughs> And what am I wearing? Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask. <laughs> what are you so, wearing? What is Tom wearing? Everyone always asks, you know, what is Tom wearing for each episode? So here we go. This is a replica. Show it of off. The jacket, the uh, the business advisor uh, at the very start of the film, the guy who comes into the helicopter into the office building. So here it is. Take a spin. <laughs> wow. That's tight. Yeah, feel like it. So this is original. Now, uh, let me explain. There are five of these on planet earth <laughs> here's one of them the uh, another one robert downey senior was graced with it wow robert downey jr was graced with the third one wow louis ck whoa <laughs> like plot twist he got the fourth one 
And there's a fifth one uh, in the possession of uh, an unmentionable. I should have got one, I think. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, where's you yours? But anyway, well, let me let me <laughs> circle back. So why the jacket? So um, <laughs> why do you have Santa Family? I was right. the you know a head programmer and a creative director, and we had a dream thing. We had Robert Downey Sr. for like a weekend with uh, his son, with with uh, Junior. We all coordinated, and it was epic. And at the time, the pre-scandal Louis C.K. did the Q and A before this film, Putney Swope. Right, and that's why the jacket exists for all of us. And so uh, we, we had them made. So, so cool. um, I got to know Robert. I met up with him in New York. Uh, I mean, I've been a fan of this film, you know, since I was a kid and all that shit. But like, um, so we met up, and I spent like a weekend with uh, with Downey Senior. Loved him. We had a lot of fun. Um, he he was ask, he was he was asking his wife about getting the new Coke with Steva, and uh, and I just went like <laughs> I just went Steva Wonder, and he laughed. <laughs> so so he what I'm saying is he liked me. Wait, like, you're talking um, about you're talking about the artificial sweetener in Coke? Is that what you're yeah. talking about? He goes oh, like, Stevia? hey, uh, do we get the Cokes that have the Steva? And I just went Steva Wonder, <laughs> and he laughed. <laughs> so again, all I'm saying is okay. is that we we sort of bonded on that nice. weird like subliminal level of like what are we talking about exactly like <laughs> yeah. like we got weird sometimes it was great and he also cool. told me that uh his favorite rap song was um uh this is such a deep cut no one on earth knows this uh opp by naughty by nature was robert <laughs> downey's favorite rap song so, all i'm sick. saying is that i i got to i got to know the guy I befriended him we were we didn't cool. stay long-term friends but like we spent a long time in in new york and then we spent all that time in um Los Angeles during this film festival for him. He's great. I loved him. My anecdote is this never works, but I'm going to say it. I always do. He reminds me if someone were to ask me to describe him, a Zen Buddhist monk, a very deep Zen Buddhist monk telling Groucho Marx jokes. <laughs> okay. Does that make any sense yeah, to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. You know, yeah, yeah. That's all right. That's it doesn't always work. So well, I love him. He's great. He died a couple years ago. Very sad. I'm done. I'm just like very sad that he died. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the good guys on earth. I really loved him. And I'm yeah. glad that his son, you know, supports his legacy. And they put out that documentary recently. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. he, you know, even, uh, you know, our favorite director is a real supporter and, and always has been. Um, <laughs> PTA. Paul, Paul, PTA. Oh. I'm just saying respect. Res no, I'm just saying respect <laughs> right, to him right. because he's a big, big yeah. Robert Downey fan. He is. Downey he is. Fan. Yeah. There's a guy named Swope mm -hmm. and Boogie Nights, you know. So um, that's all. Okay. So it's personal, I guess, is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, so that's my anecdote about let me, uh, what he and the film means to me. Let me. Do you have something on that, Marcus? I was going to take us in another direction. No, I'm good. I think we should get a move on. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I was going to say, let's just quickly, if you guys don't mind, can we just talk about a little of the origin story behind how this movie came together? I think it's yeah. fascinating. So. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this. I'll kind of set you up, Marcus, if you want to take the ball from here. But it's sure. interesting that, you know, Robert Downey was his day job, I guess, was working, making these experimental commercials for a place mm -hmm. called Filmex. And I guess the story goes. Go ahead. Well, they were. Yeah. So they were they were like they were a film production house that was a vendor for the ad agencies. Right. So then um, so because of Chafed Elbows, he got a job there as a filmmaker. And uh, his job was, like you said, to make experimental films that would be basically experimental commercials that they could show the commercial company. They could show it at an ad agency, and someone might be like, "That's perfect for Butterfingers," but it's it's weird or whatever, you know. They, yeah. So they would make an ad out of it. So. I heard it was like um, they, 
like that they would do just real quick. One anecdote I heard him talk about is they made this really racy, like, um, like uh, preparation H commercial <laughs> right. that, that like, you know, was very, like had wide, big zoom lenses and everything. And then the company saw it and they're like, yeah, there's no fucking way we'll ever be able to use this, but we're going to share it internally to get people like inspired to come up with like more out of the box right. ideas. And mm-hmm. then the commercials would even play at like festivals, like in like a, in, you know, a setting that it might be more so cool, you know, yeah. accepted, you know, go on. That sorry. is so cool. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, it sounds like the best job ever. And it, yes. and it does make a lot, it, it shines a lot of light on how this movie came to be. I mean, we'll get more into more about this movie's like, but just the fact that there are all these fake ads in the movie, it starts when you know that detail about it, about his life, it starts to shed a little light on how someone could come up with this wacky movie, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess so he was, uh, the other guy that worked there with him was a, a black filmmaker. And one day the guy uh, turned to Downey and he said like, I, hey, I saw your paycheck and it turns out that you make more money than me when we're doing the same job. And so uh, and Downey much, said, well, I think. Yeah. Twice as much? Holy smokes. That's what yeah. I read. Oh, wow. I didn't know uh, so yeah, he was like, uh, well, let's go talk to the boss. So they went and talked to the boss and uh, together and uh, explained the situation. And the boss said, well, I could give him a raise, but then I also have to give you a raise. And then we'd be in the same spot. Yeah. <laughs> which is actually a line in the movie. Yep. Right. The whole scene. If I give you a raise, everybody's going to want a raise. And if I give them a raise, they'll still be making more money than you. And we'll be right back where we started. Yeah, but it's of course scene. it's the it's the token white guy. Yeah, uh, right. approaching. The, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, the inverse black, uh, staff. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So that's so, so that's, there, so can, that was yeah. the little nugget of the idea that became this movie. He did get the raise. Downey's always so oh, good. Oh, okay. <laughs> the regular raise, you know. Yeah. Great. So so then there you have this idea, um, kind of combining this you know racial inequality. That's sort of happening uh, mixed with, you know, this ad agency world. And I don't know, guys, do we want to take this right into like the first big set piece of the movie? It kind of sets up everything, I feel like, uh, for where it yeah. goes. But sure. yeah, t- Tom, t- take us into how this movie unfolds because it is quite <laughs> right. amazing. And it goes with your jacket, yeah. too. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I know exactly. The, the guy wearing one of these jackets. Um, <laughs> unfolding is the perfect word because that's how... Uh, I've always felt like I remember the first time I saw this movie, I'd heard about it a lot, and then I just finally rented it and um, the jacket. And um, <laughs> so when it started, I was like, maybe like everyone else, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like, it sure doesn't read as a comedy. You know, right. it's not, it doesn't look like, like Wedding Crashers doesn't start, for instance, with <laughs> wide angle zoom lenses in helicopters. Yeah. No sound, no music, long lingering. Everyone's a stranger. Uh, everything's inexplicable. This old man, retiree, wearing this like biker outfit, uh, gets <laughs> off and he and he does a soul clap to another old man and like funk starts. Yeah, that's not how you do. That's not how you usually like open up a comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're kind of going just the whole time like, I don't even know what's going on. What is what is everything? Is this New York? Is this like reality? Yeah. Where, where what? You know? The only but it's thing- a beautiful thing. The only thing I'll say that like visually it reminds me of the way it unfolds is is like a Kubrick film, you know, from yes. the era. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a Doctor Strange yeah. love or Good like a call, you know, very yeah. Doctor Strange the, the, love. The, the yeah. DP did say that he was a big fan of Doctor Strange love oh, and that okay, Downey was likely wow. yeah. too. So there yeah, you go. So yeah, it nice felt, one. Yeah, it felt it feels it felt like that to me, and that he is kind of that a similar version of well, they kind of have a lot of, in common in that, especially at mm-hmm. that time. 
they're sort of making these, you know, social, you know, socially conscious, you know, satire, political satire, you know, kind of stuff, you know, strange love and everything. Yeah. I think this movie and, is and they kind both of, have that like, well, there's an absurdity of modern uh, life there in go. both of them. You yeah. know, like, uh, yeah. like the Coke machine, like, you know, like you're violating the law if you break the Coke machine, you know, all that <laughs> shit. Yeah. That scene in Strange Love. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. absurdity yeah. is really the word. And again, absurd, I was yeah. saying he did theater of uh, the absurd yeah. um, Downey did. And absurd really is a very important word because I think a lot of people for a lot of people, the 60s, the signifier is like trippy and it's like, whoa, my senses are all screwed up. And it's like, this is a weird, wild sound. But mm -hmm. there's there was a strong current of the absurd. Yeah. And Downey lives there more or less. And, and what I mean by that is just like, how does uh, someone who wants to be sane, let's just say, approach mid-century, 20th century, you know, yes. like like uh, like under the cloud of like, oh, at any moment, a couple insane people can end everything right now. And it, it almost happened at the Bay of Pigs, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then there's all these assassinations. We're talking about how sour 68 was and like uh, <laughs> what like like it's just seemed like what exactly is going on with human beings on a fundamental level is being right. explored right. by someone like Downey in right. Swope in a way. It's, yeah. it's about like. And all and seeing all these people malfunctioning and like re repeating lines of dialogue and just like wandering around and not adding up in, in the hallways, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's just it, tonally he's not being serious about his point, but he's just sort of um, living in the space where uh, this is reality, mm -hmm. but isn't reality already kind of absurd? And yeah, isn't you know yeah. like the like why wouldn't the president be a little person like we, you know like <laughs> we'll get like, to that. like playing playing with reality and kind of bending it to illustrate the inherent absurdity of the normal reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of getting into where the movie goes from, you know, your jacket guy, uh, basically it goes into, you know, this room with all the white ad agency guys and they're, and they're, you know, basically talking. And then the head of the agency comes up and gives this very bizarre, you know, he's short circuiting basically in front of them, keels over, has a heart attack. And then of course you see this very, and again, it does have also like a Mad Magazine quality, I think, too. Yeah. You know, to I it. made that <laughs> note, too. Yeah. I like wrote it, Mad Magazine on LSD. I yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Where it's like totally. this this sort of satire where, you know, you have all the executives then, you know, pouring over this guy, taking his rings and his watches and things like mm -hmm. that. And then they immediately go into all this. these All these wild lines getting thrown around, you know, like it looks like you're right. It is like Mad Magazine with like the little speech bubbles around one panel will have like six different people talking. You right. know, there's that one guy going. How many syllables, Mario? How many syllables, Mario? How many syllables, Mario? You know, yeah, like, yeah, which is total like a theater of the absurd kind of um, is, yeah. exercise where yeah. one of his regulars, that crazy little old man yeah. who's a non-professional, you know, like most of his people are non-professional, especially how many syllables, Mario? Yeah. And he's saying it like it's a mantra. <laughs> it is a joke, but not really a joke. Right. And it's also like, quote unquote, mm -hmm. poorly delivered. For his line reading to be how many syllables mario because the concept of the yeah. normalness of the joke is he dies and they think that he is doing charades and it's like yeah, misunderstand yeah. And he's not dying <laughs> but 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 to read the line so dryly and incredibly repetitively destroys the joke yeah. which is really where downey's home it is so it's, how many syllables mario is very significant to like <laughs> he's telling the audience right off the bat um, you know, here we go. Here and we hopefully go. if there's if they're stoned out of their mind, how many syllables Mario is like yeah. right on time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so <laughs> right? it's it's funny right out of the gate. Like right out of the gate, mm -hmm. it's 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 super funny. And then so of course 
The absurdity continues. The guy's lying dead on the table. Uh, and basically everybody is kind of non-reacting to it in a way to, you know, go right into this vote of who's going to be the successor, who's going to be the new chairman. And of course, they all, uh, since, you know, the only rule is you can't vote for yourself. So they all vote for the token black guy. They vote for the Putney Swope. And then, of course, he wins. And then there's this amazing moment where he says that line, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to rock the boat. Rocking the boat's a drag. What you do is sink the boat, and then it just cuts, and then it's you know a whole new staff. Yeah. <laughs> One know? of the great hard cuts of all time. <laughs> yeah. That entire staff yeah. of middle-aged white men is just evaporates, yeah. and it's all young black people, men and women, yeah. all in dashikis and stuff. And uh, the, yeah. the music—it's a music cue. The cut yeah. too, mm-hmm. you know, like like uh, like uh, funk music. Um, it's amazing. And that funny not only is it funny, story. but. What's that? Uh, oh, there's just that funny production story, like that, like they were shot it in a in a in a, in a ad agency, right? And they didn't have the like ability to go around the whole space. So whenever Danny's talking about that scene, he's always saying like the like when the white guys are all at the table, the black actors are all hiding under the table because they had to hide under that Whoa. scene. So just like and so they shot like over the course of twelve hours, and then once the white guys were done with their shot, then the black guys would get up and do their scene, you know, or whatever. So wow. anyway, it's pretty amazing that, that <laughs> funny is- production story crazy yeah yeah so it's yeah one of the greatest you know yeah hard cuts uh ever and um just gets you right going and then that's really you know you start seeing the opening credits playing over that stuff this is the beginning of the movie like movie starts with putney in charge of this ad agency and it's just it's just it's just exhilarating to watch because right in there he's just disrupting you know everything and and making it more legit and amazing (laughs) so I don't know, yeah. but yeah. Well, everything's everything's turned upside down, and um, it's uh, you know black power is mm-hmm. is the the main motivation yeah. for this company and generating funds for for themselves in their black power movement is important, and uh, you know go fuck yourself to every uh, corporation. Yeah. You know, if you're familiar with Mad Men, this is our obligatory Mad Men reference. You know, they're not um, you know they're not <laughs> kissing any corporations' asses. They're just like. Um, this is what we're doing. If you don't like it, fuck off. You know, that's their whole attitude. And of course, it seems like one would think, wow, Swope in charge, is, it's going to be run into the ground. It's absurd. It's not the way you run an ad agency. But of course, it's wildly popular. It all works out. Because, all, because they make ads that are striking and different and wild. And in a way, their ads are like the existence of the film Putney Swope itself. Yeah. In that um, it seems illogical, maybe just a few months before, that a film like Putney Swope would be popular, would be discussed on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. Yeah. But it was. And so these ads were clicking with the zeitgeist of the summer of 69, you know, like yeah. we're saying. So so in the narrative of the film, they actually become more more successful at an ad agency than they, they ever were. You know what I I, I kind of wonder if in a way like when he's when when Robert Downey's working at this experimental you know creating these experimental ads. I wonder if they're sitting there creating these things too hot for TV, racy, crazy, weird. If they're like, man, if these just got out there, they'd probably fucking work. You know, yeah, like sure. I wonder if that's kind of a little bit of that Antarctic, you know, kind of vibe going into this, you know, is like, um, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm sure well, they were well, thinking what's, that. What, well, it's like, okay, here's, here's the way I see it. It's like, sometimes I listen to Purple Haze, like Jimi Hendrix, and I try <laughs> to imagine someone who 
they don't even hate it. They just don't know that that could be something on the radio. You know what I mean? Like, like, like they're used to, uh, you know, uh, Peggy Lee and Montavani and maybe things get a little saucy with like Elvis, you know, they don't think there could be screaming and like, no, it just sounds like noise. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get your head in that space. So my point is, is like, uh, you know, the, uh, the time, uh, well, the times are a changing, just yeah. like the poster in the movie, you know? And yeah. so it's just, um, it's almost unimaginable, uh, even just a short time or before the cusp that this stuff could, it could, not not exist exactly, but actually be in the cultural flotsam, and be uh, you know a cultural force. And so it's like this is we're going full circle with everything you're saying. Like Marcus, your point about like mm-hmm. what Zappa said, which is, well, I'll quote Bob Dylan. You, you know, you know, um, you know something's going on, but you don't know what it is. Do yeah. you, Mister Jones? You know, it's like right. <laughs> that's kind of what it's just like. Something's going on. Yeah. And I don't know what this noise being made by this guy Jimi Hendrix is. Side note, mm-hmm. uh, Downey in an interview said that he was casting Putney Swope, and uh, he ran into Jimi Hendrix at a bar, and he said, "You want to <laughs> do it?" And Jimmy's like, "Yeah, sounds awesome." So managers uh. talked. Wow. And they discussed it and they said there was a scheduling conflict for the shoot oh. and a tour that Hendrix would be doing. So guys, there could have been a world <laughs> where we're talking about the Jimi Hendrix movie that Downey did. Uh, you know, uh, called that wow. is uh, And he might still be alive today, you know, because that could have like yeah. butterfly affected everything. Kind of died yeah. earlier. Yeah. No, but uh, well, somebody do an AI of that, by the way. Oh my um, God. I can't. I got an AI that. list growing. Well, um, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, what are we talking about? Well, I was um, saying, just to kind of bring it back, should we talk about the actor who portrays uh, Putney Swope in the film? Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. not Jimi Hendrix. It's, uh, help me out, is it Arnold? Uh, yeah, is that Arnold his name? Arnold Johnson? Yeah. And, you know, obviously, he, you know, he's in Shaft. He's in a bunch of other things. But, um, you know, he, he, he d- does do a great job in this movie, despite the fact that it's yeah, not his great. voice. Um, let's he's talk dubbed. About, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he dug you very much. Your father was a horse's ass. He's dubbed uh, the voice you're hearing the whole time, Bunny Swope. That's Robert Downey Sr. doing the voice the whole time. And he always knew that he would dub him because the guy started doing the, the Putney Swope character. And his voice, I don't know, it was like this maybe? Like, I'd die to know what this, well, you hear his voice in Shaft, that's true. But he just, he isn't quite the voice that Robert wanted. So he went uh, almost immediately, like in the first take, he's like, I'm gonna dub this uh, whole thing you know, later, <laughs> and so uh, well, yeah, he's the guy who did the voice. It was also because he couldn't re- memorize the lines, right? And they were like, oh, kind of, yeah. kind of like run and gun schedule or something, and they couldn't quite. You're right. Afford yes. the time, mm-hmm. I guess. The flubber. Like, they couldn't do like more than a couple takes. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The but guy. They had, they had another guy lined up too, but he was like in the union or something. They would have to make the whole right. movie union. That wouldn't work. So no way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so he didn't want to replace him. Up. He said that once he realized that he wasn't going to work, people were trying to hit up Downey being like, hey, fire this guy and hire me. I'll do it. Right. Because they didn't I mean, know that Downey <laughs> had a plan to just dub him the whole film. <laughs> right. You know? right. So, right. Uh, so right. Th- that that was pretty wild. I didn't know that for years when I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, my God. That's uh, yeah. kind of trips It is out, weird. You know? yeah, it, it is weird. Because the voice is so elemental to the it film. Is. You know? It is. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. it's great. So Yeah, it's kind of it is a weird detail. Yeah, totally. Well, maybe, you know, obviously like a big part of this movie, the thing that I think the most standout sequences in this movie, aside from the opening, is the ads themselves, the ads that are in the movie 
which is just exhilarating <laughs> to see uh, yeah. in so many ways because, like, yeah, they, they do play as kind of skits, you know, but they're so much more than that because it is such great satire, you know, for the time. Yeah. And um, I don't know, mm-hmm. do you guys want to pick one? Well, they're super visual too. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's one thing that I think that makes this movie, it's part of this movie's secret recipe, you know, is that it's funny and, but it's also just like really strikingly visual and True. like yes. not a lot of like comedies are just in general, you know, and yeah, so this takes point. a lot of risks visually mm-hmm. and the commercials are just these like blasts. Of, the whole movie's black and white, except for the, all the commercials, which are this blast of color. Yeah. And, uh, and I learned film- that recently that Dan, Mm-hmm. he did intend that i always wondered like black and white for the budget you know but they said no um he was saying uh to have those commercials really pop yeah uh, let's have the rest of the film be black and white Smart. it's a good yeah. call yeah totally. it's so cool and they look so good i mean there's the uh the lucky airlines and the face-off oh, commercials God. are like those are both two of my Beautiful. favorite 60s film Things. you know visual yeah. moments yeah i mean they're yeah, amazing man, yeah <laughs> um, well, and I, I also, I maintain, um, I, I kind of, sometimes I like to reduce things down. Like what, why was this a hit? Like, what's my main takeaway? And I think to be honest, I think those ads, those parodies specifically like, Hey, it's a, it's a commercial parody where someone goes, no shit. When they're selling <laughs> yeah. cereal also has the added punch of 0.002 ESP units of pectin. No shit. That was, yeah. it, that was, that brought the house down, I guarantee. 19, yeah. Summer of 69, no one had seen that, you know? No it's one really could have thought yeah. like, because everyone's getting attacked, you know, Kellogg's cornflakes, you know, and it's just like, like Kellogg's cornflakes, what the fuck? You, yeah. you know, so it's like that combination. I think he stumbled on that combination where, because yeah. he didn't have that, obviously, in, in any of his films before a sense chafed and, you know, pound and mm-hmm. uses pause. That's such a simplistic thing. And what I'm doing is I'm just reducing it down to like, it's just filthy parodies of stupid TV yeah. commercials that we're all assaulted with. And like, it, then that lead, it was the first of its kind. And it leads to things like, Jesus, it's been going on all these decades oh later, you know, uh, S- SNL, uh, South Park, uh, you know, like any, anything, everything. Oh, half of, um, half of the stuff on, um, Mr. Show, yeah. Bob and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Bob yeah. and Dave's Mr. Show is like commercial parodies. You know, like there's yeah. a commercial parody for, um, the, the ding dong sing song King Kong burger. Yeah. It's like, this is so fucking good. Yeah. This burger. Like they Fairsley, do that, you know, Fairsley. in the 90s. Fairsley yeah. brother, or Fairsley's, uh, you know, yeah. good call. Nice yeah. deep cut. <laughs> so anyway, so, so what I'm saying is like, like in a way it's analogous to, this has always been a sad fact for me. Art film theaters were big in the mid to late 60s. Um, not so much because mm-hmm. audiences were like, it was very stimulating to see blow up, you know? I mean, it was more like, hey, this girl gets naked for a minute in this movie, you know? And that it's true. It is true <laughs> that what broke through for so many of these high-minded um, yes. films yeah. and creating this, this world of, yeah. yeah, like small theaters is just simply like there's fake humping and nipples and stuff. And I think that sadly, but who cares, is yeah. that what made Swope go from like being this sort of cult underground thing like Chafed Elbows was, was just like, like, no shit, Kellogg cereal, you know, and <laughs> I get it. I get yeah. it. You know, so, um, and so I think that that's another big factor in the ads because it is genius to have mm-hmm. really destroyed fucked What's up that? commercials because they were, they're ubiquitous, the landscape of advertising in our society. You know? mm-hmm. What's the one fighting back? I mean, and there's, there's such great music in them too. 
you know, the music Dude, is God, so Charlie good. Kuva. Yeah, and he was like a the guy. Was he a Broadway guy or something? I thought was he or sure. I think I think he I, might. I wouldn't have be been. surprised. I think he might. He might have, have had a connection with the the hair people That's because he was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because Tom O'Horrigan yeah. did the music for like Chafed Elbows, and O'Horrigan wound up doing yeah. the music with. Uh, oh wow! There's the a lot of hair connections hair. in this movie. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Well, that's because of O'Horrigan and uh, and uh, Downey working together. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Charlie Kuv is amazing, and this is one of the greatest um, uh, outrages of u- the universe for me. Is there is no Putney Swope soundtrack that came? Out. <laughs> yeah, it was a big film. That's true. All this killer music. You could have the jingles. I I could see it in my hand, like like a $900 copy. This is what I'm saying, though. So that doesn't exist. Sorry. You know, there's still no like master tape release of the soundtrack. But a year later, he made the uncompromising follow up film, Pound, which is (laughs) most people can't even hang with it. They're like laughing and loving Putney Swope and a double bill. Pound starts and they're like, I can't do this. I'm out of here. <laughs> Pound, is, Pound is not for civilians. Right. So, but what I'm saying, just to encapsulate this, is there's a Pound soundtrack. That yeah. did happen, you know, and I Hell own yeah. one. Yeah. It's, it's and the all songs white. are ripping in that too. Oh, the songs are great. And that's Charlie Kuva again, by the okay. way. So, oh, wow. Um, well, yeah, the quick. music, the music really does it. It's oh, just a tiny little thing. Oh, There's boy. a big hip hop connection <laughs> with Putney Swope. Well, we're talking about the music, hip hop connection with Putney Swope. Dale Soul's famous, um, the hook, you know, got to have soul in three is a magic number, right out of Putney Swope. Um, break beats come. There's a lot of break beats that happen from um, the TV commercials, and uh, and you think about it though, all these guys, these producers were just grabbing VHS. You know, they're just pulling it off the VHS. Yeah, tapes. it's cool. It's pretty hot. So yeah, it is wow. cool. It's a legendary uh, hip hop yeah. uh, movie. Marcus, is there anything else you wanted to say about the either of the ads before we moved on? Well, the, I, there's so many great. Uh, there's all the ads are great in this. You know, there's yeah. like six of them or or more maybe. But um, I think just the the face off ad is so funny. You know, that's that's um, I didn't know this till Tom told me last week. But that's Martha Plimpton's mom. Yeah. I didn't know that. Insane. Uh, that we right. had this conversation unrelated to this. Uh, but Shelley Plimpton. And this guy Ronnie Dyson, and they were both in hair at the time, uh, and then you know came over to to yeah. do that. That's why the singing is so good. That's why uh, they have that great chemistry, right? You know. And what again, you got to remember that they weren't in any context. That like, oh yeah, you're part of this really fucked up movie. Yeah. Everything's all screwed <laughs> up, and there's like a black yeah. power ad agency. They're just like, all right, it's called Face Off, and here's the the lyric sheets. Yeah. yeah. Like let's that go. Might, that's know? funny. That might be one of those print the legend moments because how could you ever think that would be like a real ad? You know what I mean? Because they're like they well, if they're making experimental ads. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Who knows? Okay. Well, I mean so. the larger yeah, yeah. insanity of Putney Swope. The large, yeah, the full yeah. Con, the full enchilada yeah. of what they're doing. Right. But yeah. the um the uh what's the line where he's like i caught a flash of your beaver what is he saying <laughs> yeah yeah uh, girl i saw your beaver flash <laughs> girl i saw your beaver flash. Yeah, flash i'll never be the yeah. same oh yes insane <laughs> <laughs> And it is a it's a it's a pretty song. It's very crazy. It's good. Yeah. That there's like this super pretty song <laughs> that's prettier than like a jingle. It's like it's uh, photographed well. You know, yeah, like you're on the bike, and it they've is. got that sort of kaleidoscope effect. You know. It's, <laughs> how about this? Well, you know, can I just say one more thing about yes. like um, what it was early for? Like Putney Swope's early is there's the famous thing about National Lampoon, right? So National Lampoon starts a little later than this film, but what they were doing when they would do like a fake print ad. 
print ad parodies. They were making them all freaky, like like underground comic mm. and like, oh, it's kind of crazy looking and like uh, Ralph Steadman-y and like wild. And then someone just went, what if you stop making them trippy, hippy, dippy illustrations and make fake ads and just play it totally straight? It's the Band-Aid logo. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's sort of, it's like wacky yeah. packs kind of, you know, it's just like play it straight yeah. and screw with it. Yeah. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that the swap commercials are doing. Everything's conventional and it's right. straight ahead. Yeah. And if you're not really paying attention, yeah. if the sound was down, if the sound was down on your TV and right. face off came on, you wouldn't know anything's wrong. It, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Been, it, advertising Very was cool. such a big Very part cool. of like 60s art, you know, just as an aside that like Warhol was a, was a, he drew, you know, mm-hmm. advertisements before, you know, his, his job before and like yeah. pop art is all like billboards and, you know, totally. um, packaging totally. and, you know, so it is. Uh, yeah. Um, I think anyway, Richard that, Lester did uh, like uh, ad art too. Oh, he did. That makes sense. I think so. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, he's from that discipline, I think. Mm-hmm. The Hard Day's Night director. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, the the other ad, just to mention that Lucky Airlines ad, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention that, <laughs> like wow. the women in the negligees bouncing wild. on that Marlene Clark moon room or something. What is it? Ganja and Hess's Marlene Clark is oh, one of the. Women. Oh right! Wow! Wow! How about that? Huh? That's wow. shout out to one fucking hour on Ganja and Hess in the archives. Ganja and Hess, yeah, that's right. Always got to hit right. that. But yeah, yep. go ahead, Marcus. What you're saying? That's amazing. Uh, I just I love that it's such a great ad to begin with. It's so long, all the bouncing and stuff, and mm. it's that slow motion. It's beautiful. Great. It's it's controversial. It's very sexy. It's like yeah. it's outrageous. You know, it's beautiful. Uh, and then I just love how it, the energy goes to that moment. It's all they're just laying around like very dusted. You know, like yeah. it is like a, yeah. like an LSD hangout kind of. It gets it just kind of it makes you feel tripped out watching the movie because it goes from that bump. That bouncy part to this just totally stone dusted moment that lasts totally. a pretty long time with like it's guitar like perfect, music. It's almost like it's Wonderwall like or Opium Den or something. Yes, yes, it is, and it, it's a perfect sixties moment in a fake ad. Right. But it's such a meta thing. It's like right because it feels like an ultimate sixties moment. But there, it's an ad. It's right. a movie about advertising people that are using the counterculture to yeah, make right. money. You know, yeah. so, like the yeah. coolest, trippiest scene maybe of the 60s is in this fake, weird context, you know, <laughs> yeah. which is it's part of the genius of all this. And I don't know if you, if you want to move forward. I was thinking um, if we get closer to the end of the film, because, you know, the, the general the, the, the meat of the film before we do is um, to the end. Oh, please. But maybe just no, no, goes... I don't, well, don't want to end. I don't want to. Okay. Never mind. We could go to the end when we get later. Uh, but OK, if you had something. I just want to talk about just, again, something that just screams absurd from this movie is is the president of the United States of America, (laughs) which I feel like we should we should address and the first lady in in those sequences. Obviously, you have a little person portraying the president of the United States of America, which is truly inspired. And I did. And the first lady. Yeah, of course. Yes. And the first lady. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I basically did read this think well you were mentioning the fact that you know robert downey was on you know johnny carson and he was interviewed by him and i think one of the questions that johnny carson had asked him was why did you cast a little person he used a different word but why did you cast a little person um, as the president and uh, robert downey was just like you know in his very straight sort of way um because he gave the best reading out of all the actors you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you and know? that killed it killed there's no yeah. tape of this unfortunately but uh, uh johnny johnny liked downey actually you yeah. know like uh and he was on a wild, two times he, 
it's wild that he was on Carson talking about this movie. What is the equivalent? You know, you know like <laughs> I guess like Mark I guess Borchardt like uh, Jane Fonda was plugging this uh, movie yeah. on Carson. Like yes. when she went mm-hmm. to go, she was plugging Easy Rider, like yeah. her brother's movie. Mm-hmm. And then she said, "But you know what? You really should go see is uh, Putney Swope." Yeah. And uh, lines said the around next the day block. that the lines. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. Amazing. She, she, she really, she really made the film happen on an actual. That really level. helps me understand it too, because I was like, I was always like, how did this movie come out? Who watched it? How you know? And the, the, they were all stoned. When you start, it's, it's, start to know these details, it starts to like patch in. Well, it, it's you know, it became a midnight clear. movie. Uh, almost immediately became a midnight hit. You know, I've been going through like midnight movie archaeology with old ads in uh, newspapers.com mm-hmm. and it just popped up, you know, to like the 1981, you know, it was a mm-hmm. midnight movie like uh, staple, which <laughs> means, you know, like clouds. And the thing is, none of us know midnight movies like the way it was back then. Oh, no. From what I understand, it was one huge cloud of marijuana smoke for two hours. <laughs> and so contact, you couldn't not be stoned. So, right. and you just kept cycling. The air was marijuana, you know? So, uh, so that, yes. so again, I always think of Putney Swope, like what if people, oh, room full of people were stoned. One thing about the president though, yeah, I, want to talk I love about this that. tidbit. Is yeah. the, the, so the best line readings of the first and first lady and president were, um, they have to be brother and sister. So that's fun. Sure. <laughs> like when they have the three way with the annoying photographer, um, you know, brother and sister, good times. But I gotta say, for me, the, the the pinnacle of this film feeling like a like Stanley Kubrick directing a zapped comic, you know, by Robert Crumb, yeah, is is the presidential stuff because it's just like, oh hey, uh, well, let's see, uh, what should we do? Let's let's have the let's see what's going on in the White House. Okay, Robert Downey. Well, yeah. the White House. Here's what I see: they're getting stoned. They're having a three-way. There's little people, you know, like, and it's like, uh, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the White House, right, president. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's so destroyed. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, and and like, there's that great moment where that really boring guy is like a Henry Kissinger's trying to tell a joke, Mr. President, and they're just cracking up. Uh, it's Larry Wolf. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, is a is a staple yeah. of the Downey uh, cast of characters who he continually used. Uh, he's the bald headed guy. Yeah, and they're just laughing uncontrollably, and it's just like, yeah, what is even happening? What am I looking at? I guess <laughs> yeah. is what I'm saying. Real quick, because you had mm-hmm. some show and tell items, you know, earlier in the show, you brought up Zap yeah. Comics. Probably my only time to show everybody um, oh, my uh, my Zap One. Hey! Whoa! One, no, the first. Yep, this Damn. is the second print of the Zap One, dude. And check sweet. it out. That's a inside. comic that I even give a shit about. <laughs> check it out. No, that's that's. There Science, you go, Robert wow. Crumb, ninety-two. Damn, dude. Ooh, we. Yeah. Congrats. So, just, well, there you go. Yeah, we were we were up. referencing. Yeah, no, of course. Wow. Actually, what, let's let's spend the rest of the time. Maybe something we wanted to talk about to dovetail where I was coming from. That was Larry Wolf. <laughs> Is playing the guy who runs Borman, you know, the Borman six car, uh, Larry Wolf, the bald headed guy. He's one of the cast of regulars. And yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken, he's in every single day. I think so. Ever. so. Yeah. So the, one of the beautiful things about Robert is that like um, he liked real actors and then these people who were just like, you know, the delivery boy he thought that was interesting and they became an actor in his films. And he had these people come up like the really tall old man. Ah, oh, God damn it. Scott Gottlieb, Scott, I think. Stan and Gottlieb. the really old man. Stan Gottlieb. Thank you. Yep. And, and how many syllables, Mario guy, you know, he's in um, all the others. So, <laughs> so the thing is, and, is um, I love, there's this feeling where it's like, uh, like 
he, I feel like he loves actors. He loves quirky actors. And that's another very forward thinking thing that I really like about Downey. Oh my God. Which was like, yeah. like casting, like psychedelic mm-hmm. casting. Yeah. Well, you know? it's, it's cool. That's not common. No, it's no, it's not. And it's like something that's like kind of ubiquitous. You know what it's and, like? It's almost like, um, and then I'm totally shutting up, but it almost reminds me of uh, Tim <laughs> really? and Eric. That's it. That's uh, all I'm saying. You took yeah. the words like right out of my mouth. Uh, um, we didn't rehearse this so good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just like, yeah, it's like a pro. You know, I mean, yeah, that would become ubiquitous with Tim and Eric. Uh, but it's this idea of like, you know, he's uh, he's out in New York. And where else are you going to find characters that you want to bring into your fucking work like New York City? Good, good point. And, mm. and, you know, yeah. So basically Stan Gottlieb, this guy who, you know, is also, I think, in a, a lot, if not most of his movies up after this. He um yeah. he, he met him yes. at a, like in a phone booth. That's where he met him is in a phone booth. And he was basically <laughs> just like, hey, would you be interested in being a movie? And he said, yeah. Um, and sa- same goes for like a lot of these beautiful women you're seeing in the movie. Like th- there's that one, um, there's that one woman who's doing that crazy dance, you know, like in the, in the alleyway. You can't uh, eat a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't eat a, the uh, air conditioner. Air conditioner. Air conditioner. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Like she was just like a waitress at the place that he would just go to like, you know, to hang out. Like she just was a waitress. Hey, be in the movie. And she was really great. You know, so he had an eye for these kind of eccentric cats that he would yeah. he would see yeah. on the streets in New York City. It's, it's so advanced. He would collect them, mm-hmm. you know. Collect For 1960, them. the late 60s. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, just, Shout what's his name? Got, I'm screwing up the name. Gottlieb. Stan Gottlieb, yeah. Stan Gottlieb cut to him in uh, Greaser's Palace in 72, <laughs> yeah. and he's wearing a dress, of course, and he's serving like tapioca to um, Hervé <laughs> yeah. Villachez, his, yeah. his, his, his girlfriend. Insane. So, yeah. Uh, speaking, yeah, yeah. On the on the Greaser's Palace tip, also Alan Arbus, who's like the main dude in Greaser's Palace, uh, he's in this movie too. He's the guy who's always delivering the bad news. Uh, and uh, he's like, uh, right. I, you know, he's on Mash, of course. And but he's also Dean Arbus's husband, which is so Whoa. you know wild. Like, Alan uh, Arbus, I, yeah. Right. I guess she, she committed suicide uh, she had, like while they were making Greasers shooting pounds. Greasers. Yeah. Oh, Not wow. good. Not cool. Right. But uh, but so, also they were like personal friends, you know, uh, like I think that I mean, just to get into like I'm trying to transition to this because I actually met Larry Wolf and went to his house and hung out with him. Jeez. And, and there was also Don Kalfa. He's in, I think. Uh, yeah. Is, uh, the Living Dead, uh, which Living Dead? Return of the Living Dead. Yes, he's oh, in Return yeah. of the Living Dead. But yeah, so Don Calfa is a classic, and um, what I, I guess what I'll try to say is I'm trying to impart. He's friends first mm-hmm. with these crazy people mm-hmm. easily. He's mm-hmm. they're friends, and it's like, hey, all my friends, we're gonna go crazy for a few weeks and do this movie. Yeah, and it's a really beautiful. It's really touching, you know, because I cool. got to meet these people and see him talk to them and everything like that. And yeah, he's still in, totally in touch with like Larry Wolf. You know, like they're like, how you doing, man? What's going on? You know, how's yeah. your dog? And yeah. it's just like it's just crazy people who got in this wavelength and they just decided to just go balls out and make crazy films, including here's my MVP is Antonio Fargus. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is important in our last 10 minutes. So our Antonio mm-hmm. Fargus plays the Arab and um, <laughs> he met him. He was doing uh, he was on Broadway. Uh, he was like 17, but he was playing like an old man. Yeah, with in, a cane, in, in a, right? That's where it kind of comes yeah. from. Yeah, and film. so, so, right. And so he met him and said, uh, "You're amazing." And um, you know, uh, Antonio Fargus is more famous, you know, as a Huggy Bear and Starsky and Hutch, and he's in a lot of black exploitation films, Foxy Brown, I think. Mm-hmm. But he's so great; he steals the film for me as yeah. the Arab. 
you know, who's just jive talking and he's telling it too straight. And actually, I think the only direction and the only lines of dialogue or the only direction, no lines of dialogue that Downey gave to Fargus was, okay, you're this Arab guy. Okay, give Putney a hard time. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was all ad-libbed. Yeah. You know, so he's like, like, look at you, man. Look at you shucking and jiving, you know. Yeah, he's like. So you're really experiencing the creative input of Antonio. Yeah, that's amazing. I think it's an accent coffee, maybe. But um, yeah, he's like ad-libbing. I thought that was so cool that uh, he'd he'd basically kind of give him the rundown and he'd be like, okay, give me a second and then come back with all the, you know, with with his uh, his lines. It's really incredible. Yeah. Well, Marcus, go ahead. If there's something you want to get to, just we should carve out a little second here for the end of the movie. Maybe a few other little I, anecdotes. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think what I have is kind of will just dovetail into that because that sure. I just I do love how the this movie does have like some politics on its mind, obviously, and like yeah. I love how you know just thought maybe calling out some of the specific moments. I love the just the inversion of like racial politics that happens. Like the, he's there's a go there's a white gopher that keeps coming up and delivering, and they keep telling him to use the freight elevator, you know. And then <laughs> and then there's there's he he kind of complains to like a, a, a to the, the token white guy who they still left uh, at the company. Stan and the guy's like you know he, yeah he basically tells him to go. He's the guy from Chafed Elbows too, I think, right? So um, mm-hmm. but he's like uh, he tells him to use the freight elevator. Like there's no solidarity with the guy that's like you know on the chain, you know. So there's like some politics there and then they treat the white maid like shit, you know, so you get to see those yeah. kind of, um, that's getting very theater, the absurd, yeah, like almost like a Jean Genet kind of move. Uh, but you're right. It's classic role reversal of really mm-hmm. abusing the white, uh, uh, maid. Yeah. And, I, uh, yeah, I just love how those, how he dealt with that stuff. There was one other, like, I, God, the, uh, there's an interesting thing with the, um, the, the black power groups all show up once, yeah. once Putney gets the gig, that scene there's this great arms. scene where all these different groups show up, all these different groups of like black leaders show up and they're all asking for money. Like now that they've got, now that like Putney's in charge of this ad agency, they're all asking for money. And, uh, Danny said that like, I guess at one point, like Eddie Murphy wanted to like remake this movie and in their, in their few conversations. Eddie said Whoa. that that was the one scene that he knew that he wanted to keep because he said that was felt very tr- that that rang very true to him huh. that like oh like he personally could relate to it he could personally relate to that oh, people wow. showing up and asking for money so and I think it is sort of interesting like because huh. huh. you expect that Putney is because he does say like I'm not gonna rock the boat I'm gonna sink the boat and you think that he's going to mm-hmm. break the system down right and so all these people show up right. that, that are like revolutionaries. And the, you know, Antonio Fargus's character is like a revolutionary, you know, and then they start making these ads, which are like more crass than like ads are normally. Right. And they're a hit and there's success. And like Putney becomes a big star and people are asking him like, they're like saying, Hey, your ads are so good that people don't even leave the house to buy stuff or burn anything down, you know? Right. And like, so it's, it's just interesting because you think that he's going to be like, you know, like I said, I identified with the revolutionary co- concept of the, the very beginning of this movie. You right. think he's going to be revolutionary, but really he becomes sort of greedy, you know, and he gets, he starts wearing, uh, you know, like, uh, I guess there's like a little bit of a uh, Castro. Castro, you were a Castro yeah, outfit, absolutely. Yeah. getting assassination attempts, gets paranoid, but it's all sort of the message gets, it, it does take an unexpected turn mm-hmm. there that like, at least I felt like, sure. so that, um, you know, instead of being a revolutionary story, it becomes that he ends up, you know, being a corrupt player as well. And even so more corrupt, you know. Well, actually, but that's the thing. Um, 
I think it, it is an encapsulate. It's almost like a, a, a one act underground theater play. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a, a you know like a, a representation of like a typical cycle of a revolution, like Cuba or something. The story right. of how it happens, where it's like, or you know, like the we won't get fooled again. The theme of that mm-hmm. Who song, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know, no, but <laughs> right. the thing is, and this is the end of the film, and I wanted to get to this, this is perfect. Yeah, is um, Putney realizes everything you're saying, and he's like, um, what am I doing? I'm spinning my wheels, and we are just like, how are we different? from the old guard uh, that we replaced. And he says, fuck all this. I'm moving forward. And what does he do? He, he does this extreme move where he just takes the cash, his cut of the cash, you know, which is all in a basketball court in like uh, the parking garage, which is insane, bags of cash. And um, he takes his cut and, he's, and he just, he says like, uh, give it to, you know, give it, divide it among the staff and I'm out of here. He's moving to like an island or something like that. No, no, he says, I'm going to give the cash because they passed the test. Remember this? Sorry, I'm yes. confusing things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he right, says, right. Uh, he says, let's sell out to his staff. Let's just do garbage. You know, we're on the right track. Let's make three times as much money by just doing even worse, crass, stupid, you yeah. know, like uh, un unrevolutionary uh, advertising. And then at first they're like, oh, that's terrible, Putney. But then they come back to him and they say, whatever you say, man, we're on your side. Let's go. And they failed Putney's test. So, um, they don't get the money and the Arab gets mad and he sets all the money on fire, which leads to, and now I'm right. shifting to a stylistic tone. Um, Cause I'm a big, what's the last shot of the movie targets had such a great, what's the last shot of the movie? It did. The last shot of this movie is this great wide shot of after the fire had, had, hit, had raged and been taken out. It's a very, you know, echoey, like a, you know, a parking garage. You just hear drips and um, just uh, the burned out husk of uh, where all the money was deposited and then just the credits roll. And what do you guys think? Like, yeah. it's it's not a typical, like I'm saying, wedding planner, well, sorry, wedding. Right. Uh, crashers. Um, date, what is that called? Wedding crashers. Yeah, kind of no, comedy. it's it's a sour, what? it's a sour note to end on for a movie that mm-hmm. has been pretty, um, you know, just like progressively funny and absurd, absurdist. But then it kind of winds up on that note, which I think is I think it's I think it's great because I think it yeah. it gives it more weight, you know, and and and, and well, I it think goes out with a bang too. It you does. Know? I mean, it's the classic thing. Like it's a big. It ends with a big explosion. Well, but yeah. we're saying it's a big tonal shift where it's like um, we're a million miles from a joke right now. No, no, for a, for a few reasons. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, no, we are. But I think one thing that's really amazing about this movie is that like there are these sections of the movie where between gags or or set pieces you know it it kind of allows the viewer to kind of think you know (laughs) about sort of like you know just like what's going on and like about like the you know um you know inequality of things and the and the you know humiliation and all this kind of it just makes you think about like of of course but looking at the inversion of this world Mm -hmm. that we're in with putney swope Mm -hmm. The movie does allow you those opportunities, like to take a breath and to like think about the things you've seen and what they might mean. And I feel like that mm-hmm. way, like it, th- that's like kind of we we sort of end on that with the ending too. It kind of it just lets it all kind of you know yeah, seep in. Yeah. You know, and these are a lot these of things kind of that theater tone. of the absurd, um, like mechanisms. In, yeah. in, you know, in, in illustrating a point. Uh, you know, and yeah. it, its meaning. Marcus, there's not a lot of films that have that tone, you know, that are like, uh, Mm -hmm. that are anarchic and absurd. Right. But also meaningful and not just completely empty, you know, like. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah. there's no point to Groove Tube that came out a few years later. Right. <laughs> it's just laughs. It's, well, it's just laughs. Well, movie really makes you think. But, exactly. Yeah. It's a real thinker. Yeah, airplane, yeah, you know. Well, it's not, that's true. And it's very, it makes it very unique. One thing I want to just quickly, if I can just end it here on this, is that, you know, the, we saw it briefly, but the poster of the movie, I think, is really, really, truly incredible and, and very inspired. And I think, uh, you know, if you're going to make a movie about an ad agency, you better have a freaking wicked ass poster. That's and it's incredible point. that, you know, it's up Madison Avenue, like how, you know, like the meaning of that. Of course, the middle finger with the woman there is the middle finger. It's just an incredibly inspired, amazing design. Yeah. So that's a great point. If you're going to make a movie about the ad agencies, got to have, have an incredible poster. <laughs> All right. Woo, we could have kept going and going and going on that one. Uh, that was it's great stuff. One fucking hour, of course, on Putney Swope. One hour was not enough. Um, <laughs> definitely for that one. That never hour is honestly because Downey is also yeah this whole world. Yeah, I think guys that Putney Swope could be a contender for a future a future audio commentary, perhaps on the Ooh. Patreon. Uh, shout out patreon.com slash one fucking hour. It's a really good idea where we're doing fun, yeah. Our audio commentary tracks. Uh, maybe we'll do Putney Swope and we'll get into some more things. Look at it scene by scene. That could be fun. So, no yeah. shit. And yeah. I promise you, I will never uh, foist pound on you guys yeah. and the general audience. <laughs> uh, but I am tempted for my pound. for my next birthday. Oh, uh, that could be a good. That'd birthday. be the only way I could do pound. That's true. Yeah. You'd have to wait for your but birthday. Pound is pound is currently on YouTube. If you guys want to check it out, okay. It's hard math. It's fucking algebraic. <laughs> it's fucking math Robert metal. Downey. It's like uh, Robert Downey yeah. math metal. Okay. Yes. Got it. Um, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening to One Fucking Hour on Putney Swope. That was our 1969 film. And of course, wow. you know how this... Yeah. You know how this works. Now, we're getting into the groove of things. Next week, of course, we're going to be doing uh, episode 70, which will be, of course, a movie from 1970. We have chosen four Marcus. movies... Cue the Stooges song. Oh, <laughs> they have a, they have a song for these years. They do. That's true. Anyway, 1970. Yeah. Something, right. something, something. Yeah, that's good. I, I was just 1969 still playing in my head. Yeah. <laughs> 1970. Um. So yeah. we have we have picked four movies uh, for you to vote on right now as you are listening to this. If you're listening to this in the first 24 hours of this episode hitting the airwaves. You have a chance right now to go to our Instagram page uh, at one fucking hour. Click on the stories, and right there is going to be a poll, and you'll be able to right. vote. Now on you have twenty four fucking hours <laughs> yeah. to do it. <laughs> you do, or else it's not going to count. So, twenty four <laughs> no. hours to vote, and you get to pick one of these four movies. Whatever wins is the movie we're going to be doing for the year of nineteen seventy. So, we're going to go one by one with these, uh, and we'll give you a little taste of what the hour might be like. So, um, guys, first potential one fucking hour on 1970 would be five easy pieces. Tom? Oh, wow. Me? Me? <laughs> no. um, God, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. It's Bob Rifelson. It's uh, BBS, you know, yeah. that, that, that really cool crew. Yeah. The cool kids who just did Easy Rider the year before. They do um, yeah. five easy pieces. Jack Nicholson's now not the breakaway supporting person in Easy, but now he's the lead. And they proved that they can make a grown-up movie. Yeah. They could make a movie that's not just, you know, like tripping balls and getting on the highway. You know, it's like a it's a it's a it's a real sour film. Great ending, great last shot. Unbelievable ending. Yeah. And uh 
Yeah, and a star-making uh, performance by Nicholson. I'm a huge fan. It does. It's bifurcated, you know, and there's. It's almost subtly shocking, the transition of Bobby yeah. Dupree, the person you're following, Nicholson's character, and how Absolutely. he's over here in the first half and over here in the second half. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's just it's 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 one of the big new Hollywood movies, yeah. and it was a huge hit and very influential. Yeah. It's uh, basically. Our representation in this list of um, the, the period of uh, of time where it's like you know, um, you know, Tulane Blacktop and you know all those kinds of yeah, films, which know. are coming up coming up soon on the horizon. Right, next um, year, Marcus, tell us about pick number two here. What this might be like? We're gonna do one fucking hour. It, it might be one fucking hour on our first concert movie <laughs> uh, for the show. <laughs> one fucking hour on Woodstock. Okay, what's on that gonna Woodstock. look like? Yeah, so the, well, it's an amazing documentary. It's really fun. I watched it uh, a few uh, months ago, but maybe last year. There was like a five-hour cut or something that was on TV, wow. and I was just swimming around in Woodstock for like five hours, and it felt great. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a really f- interesting film culturally. You know, you get to see a lot of the crowd and like what's going on with them, and um, the filmmaking's really top-notch. There's a lot of interesting people making the film a lot of interesting photographers out working out there wasn't was it like who well isn't as a Maisley, uh the Maisles right Maisles. Scorsese yeah Scorsese, Scorsese right? that's right supposedly uh yeah supposedly Lucas too right I think that we, we talked that about I never that. heard oh. but definitely Scorsese uh maybe wow. he was there for give me shelter actually I think I think, I think you're was. right um, for that yeah Jesus okay but, uh, yeah Anyway, just a good, a good, fun time to talk about the music, talk about the show, talk about the culture, get really mm-hmm. deep into hippies. So I thought that could be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah and wavy I mean, gravy, you know, and all that stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> We're yeah. gonna make breakfast in bed five hundred thousand people. Man. <laughs> <And> that, <laughs> that always cracks me. Yeah, up. There's something good. about that. That's good. And then it's I just like, love too that it's like it's like eight a.m. And yeah. the Jefferson airplane's going on, and it's eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I didn't. Hendrix I went on quite at like realize that seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Well, they're all they're all still high as yeah, a kite man. from the night before. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, if nothing else, it has that Sly and the Family Stone performance, which True. is really epic. It's, yeah, it's choice. Epic. Really incredible. Yeah, yeah, really, really amazing. So, could be one fucking hour in Woodstock, or we talked earlier speaking about midnight movies. This is one of the big monster midnight movies. It could be one fucking hour on El Topo. All right. Oh, Our- <laughs> did we pick that? I mean, yeah. did we choose? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Holy Christ. Do we need yeah. to talk about that? I mean-, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a monster. Alejandro, you know, Hodorowski, our first film of his, getting yeah. into his trajectory from, it's you know, time. mime to psychedelic Western hero. It's mm-hmm. pretty crazy shit. Obviously, it's a monster. I'd love to go to town on El Topo. I, I'm a huge fan. So cr- I would do a commentary on that, you know? Oh great idea wow or, in, holy <laughs> or holy mountain holy yeah y'all are both later or yeah, both yeah. all yeah. of them um, yeah. no topo's a huge deal um Damn, and then tusk I mean, tusk of course tusk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right right cusp on the tusk yeah. on the cusp <laughs> no but um you know i've always you know holy mountain gets a lot of eyeballs like attention because it's just like oh my god yeah here's a monkey a chimpanzee and he's in a you know, yoga position yeah you know right right but like something about el topo is great because it's just really clean it's yeah. just very stark unlike yeah. el topo i'm sorry unlike holy mountain and all its sprawl which is incredible and yeah. very satisfying 
Yeah. You know, it's like a, a triple album with a gatefold opening and shit. <laughs> this one is just like a fucking hardcore 45, you know, like single kind of movie, you know, yeah. comparatively. Um, and it's great. I've seen it on the big screen and it's, uh, it rips. It's really jaw dropping. And, uh, it's also bifurcated in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. almost like the other film that we're going to mention in a minute here. Oh, I'm yeah. Trent. Okay. This is weird. This, this is the bifur. This is bifurcation year. Yeah. Um, BBC Pieces is cut in half. Yep. El Topo is cut in half. And we're going to get into this monster here. This is the fourth choice. One fucking hour on performance from 1970. Dude. Holy shit. Dude. Yeah, the ultimate uh, bifurcation, Dude. if you will. You might um, need to. Uh, tape my mouth shut or something yeah. uh, I will not shut up <laughs> I know I don't I never shut up but I will not shut up on that one the return <laughs> the return of the spray bottle um yeah so obviously we have Marcus is in the house yeah you know like uh like uh Mick Jagger's like parked outside the sh- no Keith's parked outside the shoot because he thinks that Mick is gonna fuck his girlfriend no it's yeah it's it's incredible yeah, but we yeah. have we have no? talked yeah, about yeah okay well, oh, go ahead, Marcus. If you got to take if you got to take that bait there. Oh no, I, I it's not. Re- I know. I just I just love the movie. I, I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I loved the soundtrack, especially as a big uh, winner for me too. The, yeah, the sort of the, the Ry the Ry Cooter version of, of that Stone song, and um, and then you know, the Last Poets, of course. Just like I was just going to say, like this is how you looked cool in 1970. Yeah, my new movie's got the last poets on it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> holy true. shit! It's true, true. That's still not cool. That's yeah. cool for like twenty thirty-seven yeah. or something. I you know, know. Yeah. that's true. So yeah. no, this movie's insane. It's got two directors. Yeah, two monsters too. Look, if we don't do it, this time, we'll do it. You yeah. know, we're gonna do performance. It's yeah. overdue. You know? Yeah. So I was, I was, I was gonna say, you know, we've we've covered uh, Nicholas Rogue on the channel twice now. I believe we did Walkabout. Did we do a different one? My fucking... Bad oh, timing. yeah, Bad Timing. That's right. We did Bad Timing. We did Walkabout. And Donald Camel is a fascinating... Um, other The other half of the creative force in this of performance. And we've teased... talked about Lucifer Rising. We talked about him a little right. bit in Lucifer Rising, but we've really teased him. And you know he's an incredible backstory in and of himself as well, too. So there's a lot to get into Absolutely. if we do performance. Mick Jagger, the whole thing, the editing, the... There's just there's a lot to get all, into with that movie. God, all this shit's it's it's all like six degrees of separation, except for it's like three degrees of separation, right? Like right. The, yeah. in the sixties, there was about two hundred cool people, and they all knew each other. Yeah, right? there that's you go. pretty much it. Yeah, there you go. yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So, um, yeah, like there's like there, there's like photos with Dennis Hopper and like you know Hodorowski together and stuff. Like that's that <laughs> right. And Donald Camel. <laughs> and Donald there's a right. photo of Hopper. <laughs> Yeah, who did Easy Rider, which yeah. you picked here, yeah. and then El Topo guy, and then uh, yeah. Kenneth Anger, Kenneth Anger, Lucifer <laughs> <laughs> Rising, he just died, and and um, there is yeah. one with uh, with um, yeah, yeah, Camel, yeah, uh, God, Jesus Christ, yeah, no, because like there's a point in time mm-hmm. when Hodorowski's fucking around and doing some editing of the last movie for yeah, Hopper in the right. desert in Taos, like that happened. That's you know, right. That's what these years. These are crazy ass years, man. They that's why we d- decided to do this. That's right. So, all right, your choices are one fucking hour on five easy pieces, uh, Woodstock, El Topo, or performance. So, if you're listening in that in this 24 hour window of this episode going live, head over right now to the Instagram page at one fucking hour. Click on the stories, and the poll is there, and get your votes in, man. I mean, these polls have been so close. 
Uh, Very so close. Every vote does matter. It's every, not like straight to people it's not like um yeah. eh, it's like two votes over here and then like 97 yeah. percent for here it's no blowouts yeah and there's been no blowouts yeah not even close so and we we're yeah i was very surprised last summer got a lot of love last week and so this is yeah, that was uh, very cool it was cool to see that so very excited for what you guys are wanting to hear and no see idea. yeah it's gonna be cool so all right anyway uh check that out of course again additional shout out uh, to the patreon patreon.com slash one fucking hour Best way to support the show, and you also get those uh, audio commentary tracks as well. Super easy to sync up the movie and the visual with the audio. We give you the instructions how to do that. And there's a little bonus for Star Wars. We did actually record the commentary track to a 35-millimeter print version, and we give you all the instructions for that as well, too. So um, anyway, guys, it's been great. It's been amazing, uh, but we can't leave uh, anybody uh, hanging there, of course, (laughs) without their... Mama. Well, actually, this is kind of like how many syllables? How many syllables? Mm, two <laughs> how many syllables. syllables? Mummyo. Mummyo. <laughs> <laughs> <Mom-no. laughs> yeah. <laughs> two mummyo syllables. All right. Uh, okay, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that is going to be how your many mom- mummins, Mario? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. See, you know what? Good call. I tried. Our mummin is our Robert Downey kind yes, of vibe. It know? is. There you go. Oh, right? There it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. There you go. So, all right, everybody. Well, have a great uh, rest of your week, and we will see you next week for 1970. What's it going to be? I have no idea. You tell us. All right, everybody. Take care. See you later. Goodbye. Bye, is there not enough humor in the American society? Uh, that's where it is. I really think that's what's wrong. You know, if everybody could get turned on to not taking themselves too seriously and having a sense of humor about themselves. I think we could get over a lot of things that we take very, very seriously. We could approach the serious matters in a different way, like war and poverty and all the things that are going on. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man. <laughs>